Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK, where we where we offer you the, the only practical philosophy out there, objectivism, and we use that practical philosophy to deal with daily life, with, uh, with current events, anything that affects humanity, we apply the philosophy of objectivism to, and you know what, you should too. Uh, today, of course, I am joined by my uh, favorite partner in crime, James Valiant, because we're going to be discussing uh, legal issues, which he is an expert on, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be learning tons of stuff uh, with him today. The, the topic today is, is uh, and, and if I if I screw up any of the particulars of this, James, you can you can definitely uh, amend amend my uh, my talking points. Uh, apparently, the Republicans are trying to make it more difficult to pass uh, to amend the Constitution of Ohio by changing the percent for the amendment from 50 to 60%. Now they're doing this because they want, they, they're afraid that uh, liberals and, and the left will pass into the constitution a, uh, a, a, a freedom of abortion act. And they want to avoid this uh, as as uh, much as possible by, by making this procedural change to the way the government works. Uh, they were unsuccessful at doing it, but we're gonna unpack whether or not such an idea is right. And as James and I were discussing before this even came on, there's a couple of dimensions to this that uh, that we can unpack. First and foremost, James, how are you? Let's unpack this issue, man. What's up? I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, this is a very, very interesting uh, issue. Constitutional law is uh, one of my uh, particular interests. Uh, you know, you, you see on both sides recently uh, attacks on the system when it be, the system becomes inconvenient to their particular pet issue. You know, the framers of our constitution <laughs> 250 years ago uh, were some pretty smart guys. And just walking in the door, uh, if unless you're gonna give it the thought that James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton gave it, men who looked at it from every angle, used the best political thought of their time, considered all the possibilities um, and, and thought it through like that. Well, I, first, I'm not, I'm going to be enormously skeptical that you're going to improve on their process. Uh, so I'm skeptical of the constitutional procedural changes as such, uh, and unless you can prove that you can come up to the bootstraps of one of the greatest legal minds who ever lived, James Madison, the author of the Bill of Rights, uh, and good luck with that. I'm going to be skeptical from the outset. And if you're doing it for one issue, if you're changing uh, tradition, even if it's not in the Constitution, if you're changing some uh, venerable tradition of American constitutional procedure uh, for one issue, for one pet issue, I can say presumptively that is the wrong epistemological approach to procedural and constitutional issues. They've got to cover, as I say, a wide variety of possibilities, even the possibility that uh, maybe your friends won't be in power one day. And so it'll come back to bite them on the tail if they go about it in this clearly anti-conceptual, anti-principled way, because we don't like this issue. Roe versus Wade, for example, in Ohio. It's a Republican-leaning state but it's just a Republican leaning state. The majority wants a constitutional amendment now that Roe versus Wade is gone to protect a woman's right to abortion, at least at some level. Well, in order to prevent that from happening, they wanted to change the way that we uh, amend the Ohio constitution. You know, like we were saying before, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, 
in general, do I think it should be harder or easier to amend constitutions, even state constitutions? I think it should be harder, a lot harder. If you ask me in the abstract, 60%, yeah, well, maybe three quarters would have been my would have been my suggestion for amending it. But that would be considering it in general and across the board and across issues. Uh, when you say, mm, this one issue, I understand it failed. And wouldn't it lovely? 59% of the of the people were in favor of this amendment, and they suggested go to, going to 60%. Oh, please, my Republican friends. What you're doing is you're changing a process, something that will govern all the issues, a thousand issues, unanticipated future issues, when you change the process. To change the process based on one pet issue is already stinks to high heaven and should be we should all be skeptical of and the democrats do the same thing of course several years ago uh, ago you recall uh that the uh, when obama became president and he had the senate on his side the senate changed the filibuster rule now it's not in the constitution but it was more than 150 year old uh tradition in the senate they changed the filibuster rule just for judicial nominees and just for judicial nominees below the supreme court level so that it would be easier for obama to get through his judicial nominees without any debate or argument from you know those pesky uh people in the other party well when the republicans took the senate they said oh great idea let's include supreme court justices they don't have the you, the other side can't filibuster those nominations either hmm well guess who the next president elected is trump and when he has a republican senate whew, like a uh, hot knife through butter, uh, Trump's Supreme Court nominees slide through and there's nothing the Democrats can do about it. So there you have a great example of the Democrats altering a procedure that they didn't like to make it easier for their side to do one little thing. And what did it, within a decade, it came back to bite them in the rear end. And I would warn, I would say that that's a case study here for our Republican friends in Ohio. While in general, it should be tough to amend constitutions. Yes, and I, in, if that were the abstract question, I would be in favor of that, generally speaking. But when you're cutting a swath through constitutional procedure just for one issue, uh, you're making a big mistake. You're, it's an, as objectivists, we'd see it as an anti-conceptual, anti-principled approach. And you can see how much more principled and properly conceptual our founders were. So again, if you're going to change the way James Madison set things up, I'm already, uh, well, I'm not saying it's perfect. I mean, sure, we could improve on it. I'm just saying I'm going to have enormous skepticism <laughs> if you think y'all are smarter than James Madison. Like back in the 50s and the 60s, Ayn Rand already noticed the disintegration of the political process, the disintegration of principles within the political process, and the reduction of pretty much every aspect of the ideology to the range of the moment thinking and we're seeing that here where people are changing procedure and policy simply to meet the expediency of the moment they're not thinking long term at all they're just thinking about winning in the moment but i, I want to get back to this constitutional issue then i want to talk a little bit about the filibuster now I, from my understanding amending the constitution of the united states is a very difficult process you need you need you need a super majority, you need three quarters of a majority of approval and three quarters of the states. That's 75% of the approval of- You need two-thirds two 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 thirds, of, sorry. of two each thirds. house. There's two ways of proposing an amendment. One is so that's, six, that's 66%, correct? Yeah, 
correct? 66% of the House and the Senate, and then three quarters, 75% of states have to go, state legislatures have to agree with it. It is not easy. It takes a supermajority and then a super duper majority of states to get a federal uh, amendment passed. And I think that is uh, a much better procedure because those ideas have been our guardian. I, as I've said in numerous of these podcasts, uh, against the onslaught of bad philosophical ideas, there's really no long-term protection. A constitution itself will be interpreted and watered down and die over time, but at least it slows it down. At least it's some yeah. kind of breaks on the process that gives us time to persuade, a little more time to persuade uh, people to a philosophy of reason. And so, a more so in so in, so in principle, even though we don't like the reason that they want to make this uh, constitutional change, they want to make it more difficult to amend the constitution. In principle, it's it, it's it's by and large fairly good. I know in the state of California, the state that our our constitution has been amended hundreds of times because the amendment process is subject to a plebiscite. People can vote in new amendments. So effectively, that's no constitution at all. If if the people can just simply vote on a whim to change something, it's not a principal document. It's not a compact between the state and 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 us at all. So so this seems. A 50% is a pretty low bar. I think I like that 66% thing. I think two thirds does represent uh, the the will of the majority tempered by our representatives. So it's, and then, and further tempered by, uh, you know, these processes are, are tempering the will of the majority at the same time that they're allowing it to pass. I mean, what say you to that? You say you're not behind this you're behind this in principle, but only under very specific circumstances, and these well, circumstances aren't it. Well, let me look at put it this way. I'm in favor of a woman's right to abortion. And so <laughs> the, the motive they have here is pernicious to me. And if they're doing it for this one issue, um, it's suspicious to me. Now, sure. the idea does have to be considered in principle. So I would have to think hard and think, well, just because I'm so strongly in favor of abortion, is this the correct procedure? And think like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, is this the correct procedure? Uh, at the end of the day, I might vote for that greater majority, uh, but <clears throat> I'll tell you, every instinct in my body right now would tell me, no, you guys are trying to mess with it for this one issue, and just on that basis, I oppose it, and let's get abortion in first, and now let's discuss, now that we've got that one issue behind us, now let's discuss how we amend the Ohio Constitution. You're absolutely right. This uh, part, this sort of popular amendation of state constitutions, which happened in most states, is only 100 years old or less and was the upshot of progressive reforms of the early 20th century. Uh, they came in with things like the popular election of senators and so forth. But the framers of our Constitution were not, what they wanted was a real consensus, even when just laws are passed, much less constitutional amendments occur. And they, and that's why, I mean, they could have just had a House of Representatives, right? Elected every mm -hmm. two years, popularly elected, boom, they make laws. No, they wanted to have all kinds of breaks and slowdowns. The Senate, the president can veto, and that requires a two thirds. And no, 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 no. They really wanted it to be a, not just the whim of the moment majority. They wanted it to be the consensus and the sustained consensus over a period of time, which makes a lot of sense to me. So, it sounds undemocratic, but there are all kinds of undemocratic aspects to the American constitutional system, and they're some of our best features. They're like the Bill of Rights. 
Congress shall make no law. And there they're just cutting off a whole swath of things the government simply cannot do, regardless of the size of their majority. Do you know that, Mark, there's even a provision in the Constitution that puts something in the Constitution outside the power of amendment. There's something no amendment can change in our Constitution. And that's the uh, uh, representation to two senators per state uh, uh, in the Senate. Representation in the Senate cannot be altered by constitutional amendment. Wow. Wow. When you read that, you realize how how much the uh, framers were skeptical of raw democracy. Well, thank God, because the radical democratists today are doing everything in their power to to democratize everything. Right. And that's pretty scary, which which I, I don't know if this brings me to. The, the filibuster, but I wanted to talk about the filibuster a little bit. Now, it seems to me that that was, even though it wasn't established in the Constitution, it was more uh, tradition, it seems to be an effective tool of the minority to stave off, you know, majority whim. Is that is that true or false? What would you say the use of the filibuster has been, even though it's been used to, to terrible effect sometimes, sometimes. Uh, by by the by the minority it's also been used to stave off some pretty awful stuff as well so what can you say about the filibuster why do we need it well let's look at the senate itself the senate is a big giant undemocratic institution it gives new york state for example just as many representatives as rhode island you know wyoming has you know that members in the house are apportioned by population wyoming at last i checked has one congressperson at large and two senators <laughs> so the senate is an extraordinarily undemocratic thing undemocratic thing so uh, think about that and <laughs> the electoral college the votes that each state gets are based upon not the number of members of house, the house they have plus the Senate. So it's weighted, uh, our elections for president are weighted in an undemocratic way. So when you look at the Senate, uh, and then when they created the initial rules and Thomas Jefferson was the chief initial architect as vice president under John Adams, the vice president is the president of the Senate under the constitution. And he basically created the original rules for the Senate. And the thought there was everything should be done in theory by unanimous consent. Only when you don't have unanimous consent do you open it up for a debate and investigation and so forth. And then they would build in things like the filibuster. Uh, yeah, uh, and it, they had rules about how you can shut down a filibuster, but it takes like a 60 vote closure vote. So you've got a 60 vote kind of supermajority for anything important getting through the Senate. There was an exception to that when it came to conference uh, if the House and Senate comes together, they can't agree. They agree on a compromise. That is not subject. That was the one thing that was not subject to filibuster. But apart from that, it's basically taken 60 votes to, to get anything through the Senate. So in all these ways, the Senate is really undemocratic and by intention undem undemocratic. And again, as I say, it was only the progressives about 100 years ago who gave us the popular election of senators. Senators were picked by state legislatures before they were popular, popularly voted on. So this uh, democracy thing, popular democracy thing, is only quite recent in American history and a phenomenon. In the 20th century, in the 20th century, this yes, was sir. given to us by the progressives. And yes, sir. I have to say, I this is the one respect in which I think we should look backwards and emulate something in the past and say, we should do that again. 
Um, Jonathan, I got some super chats here. And one question in particular, I think is very, very good that we have to deal with. I know you'll be able to deal with it better than me, but I want to answer it first to see if I'm right. <laughs> and then I'll use you as my barometer. First of all, Jonathan Honig gives us $1.99. Thank you, Jonathan. Always great to have you out there as a participant, as a host, uh, as a and as a very stimulating audience member. Catherine, who's been a member for two months. Thank you, Catherine. Isn't the Constitution supposed to be a living document so changes could be made, yes or no? Now, yes, changes are supposed to be able to be made to it. That's why we have the amendment process. But it is not a living document. It is a contract. It is a compact. It can be altered, but not in principle. Now, that's my take on it. What say you, James Valiant? Why even write the damn constitution if those words aren't meant to be taken seriously and at face value for what they are for all time yes they are carving it in stone ladies and gentlemen yes they've allowed us a chisel and a hammer so that we can through a great laborious process add a new carving to that stone but you better be prepared to be carving that idea in stone they wanted these ideas to last <laughs> America has had the longest continuous operating constitution in modern history. You can go back a millennia, a millennia, and look at the governments of the world. America has had the most stable constitutional system out there in modern times. That is a good thing, uh, uh, in my view. Um, and uh, yes, why would you create a constitutional amendment process if it could be reinterpreted at will at any time. If that were not, in fact, including a constitutional amendment process excludes any other way of altering those words. By including that process, they're saying that's the only way to change this. The only way to change the way we interpret it, the meaning of this, the literal face value of what we're saying. Now, there are there is a sort of key code in the Constitution, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, that sort of tell us how to read the Constitution. Uh, when there, we're discussing rights, the Constitution speaks in big, broad, abstract language that covers all kinds of stuff that the framers knew they wasn't being, they couldn't anticipate. Their own ignorance was being accounted for there, as is the Ninth Amendment. They didn't want the idea of liberty to be restricted. And so, and they knew they couldn't think of everything in advance. So they wanted to anticipate the unknown. They wanted to take into account their own ignorance. So read liberty read rights expansively rights only in the liberty sense mind you read the powers and the 10th amendment tells us how to read the powers and the procedures read the powers that we grant to the federal government narrowly uh it is in fact the key code so to the extent there's any validity to this living constitution idea it's simply the idea that the framers anticipated that the scope of individual liberty was much broader than they had anticipated but the powers that they granted the government and the procedures by which that government must use that power are must be narrowly interpreted and very strictly forever ever taken at, down to the gnat's eyelash if the president's term of office ends on noon on the 20th day of january every four years it's noon on the 20th day of january you wouldn't put that detail and every single word in the constitution must be given meaning there's another thing our Supreme Court has completely forgotten. Every Indeed. single but I, but I have questions with respect to this because this is very interesting. First of all, Catherine writes back with another $1.99. Thank you guys for clearing that up. Yes, thank you. Now, of course, there is a, 
there is there are enumerated powers that are granted to the, to the federal government, and they're not supposed to go beyond those enumerated powers. And yet Hamilton won the argument in the end with implied powers, right? Now, now, I mean, this is a probably a vast historical question if, that opens up a huge a pit for us to, to get lost into, and we only have about three, four minutes left. Um, uh, how how do we deal with this issue? Because I'm an enumerated powers guy. I don't think well, the federal government the should have any phrase, more than the powers that are given to it. The very phrase that gave them this squishy power is this uh, uh, phrase in the uh, when the list of the powers granted to Congress is at the very end, and those powers that are necessary and proper mm. to the execution of the foregoing. Now, whoa, 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 wait, what the heck does that mean? In the for the first century of our history, at least necessary meant necessary. Is this required to do this thing we gave you the power to do? And if you can't mm. show that it is really necessary, then it doesn't fit with it. Now, the Supreme Court again, the Supreme Court took their uh, wide out and they scratch just like with interstate commerce. Regula Congress can regulate commerce. Boom, get rid of that little pesky word interstate. They got rid of that pesky word necessary so that anything that's sort of proper and gets us in that general direction is good enough under the necessary. So again, it's the Supreme Court sort of scratching out, scratching out with their magic marker uh, words from the Constitution that have proved inconvenient. Now, did, did a lot of this happen under Roosevelt? A lot of it began before, just before under Roosevelt. Our progressive friends were making a big headway in the Supreme Court even before Roosevelt. Roosevelt, though, really aggressive. When he put Frankfurter and those guys uh, on the Supreme Court in the late 30s and early 40s, that dramatically accelerated uh, the movement. And then, and, then, and then threatened to do what the left is threatening to do today, which is pack exactly. the Supreme Court. And that intimidated them into accepting new... They had to contort the Constitution to incorporate the New Deal. And One that's last been, thought. If I could yes. amend the Constitution and change the way the framers did something, I would change one thing. Put the number of members of the of the Supreme Court on written, write that in stone. Nine members, period, and make it so that they can't uh, change the number by law, which they can do, of the number of justices on the Supreme Court. I would take that out of the power of Congress, uh, so that they can't play any political games with the Supreme Court itself. So why why is the number nine the magic number? Well, there isn't really a magic number. It would have to be odd, so you don't break, so you don't end up with ties. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is, is that I think over time, we, there were different numbers over time. By the way, uh, yeah. over time, I think nine has proved to be a pretty good number. And let's leave it just like that. I, okay, I, I I could agree with that for sure. Um, I also don't like the idea of the of the legislature overseeing or, or applying ethics to Supreme Court justices. They are supposed to be an independent branch of government. And when I see the fascists in the legislature attempting to take control of the Supreme Court simply so they can get their agendas passed, it's really scary. I mean, I know this stuff is, has happened in the past. We've, you know, we seem to be thinking we're in unprecedented times and in some respects we are, but we're also reliving some events. Uh, but it, it's the, the advance of technology, some, I think, is, is progressing the, these events at an exponential rate that it would have taken a long time before. Now it's happening very quickly. And so we have to be on our guard.
My brother is the power of government grows these procedural issues. Each of these procedural issues become more and more tenuous because they will cut a path through these procedures to get to it. The more the more life and death control the government has over us, over the economy, over our private lives, the more crucial it becomes to get these procedural issues done our way so we can get this issue through. Take look these procedural issues are, wouldn't be near so important if the p- scope and power of government were down to what it should be. In fact, what Madison and Jefferson and, and Hamilton thought originally thought it was going to be. Uh, if, it were, if our government were back to that in its scope and size, these procedural was, issues would, hey, wouldn't be so intense. Was Hamilton lying in all of his Federalist papers just to get the Constitution passed? Because he really wasn't on board with Madison. He, was, he really wasn't on board with a with a federalist system and a Republican way of doing of of doing government. He he well, wanted a, a strong executive, a really yeah. powerful executive. He argued for a strong executive. He argued against having a Bill of Rights in there. But his arguments are interesting and it is a compared to what thing. And we're going to need to do a whole I can see, Mr. Pellegrino, that you and I need to do a whole daily objective just on the Federalists and Anti-Federalists and how the Constitution came to be. That is a really worthwhile thing to have, especially in light of the current arguments over the Supreme Court, filibuster and things like that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Hamilton was a genius and uh, we can't we can't take that away from him. But we do have to discuss uh, all of this stuff, because I think it, we need we need clarity. But we have to start wrapping up here, uh, James. So I'm going to I'm going to announce the upcoming shows at 6 p.m. UK time. The reality show on what should we do about refugees? All important. Are you joining us for this, uh, James? You're going to be. Alas, uh, I cannot join today, for, but uh, it sounds fascinating. Gosh, <laughs> I think I think it's going to be a good one at 10 p.m. UK time. Life on Earth with Robert Nasir and special guest Dr. Robert Garmong on free market medicine in China. Woo! Okay, that sounds like a very interesting phenomenon. One last, um, uh, we have one last uh, super chat here. Ashley shrugged $1.99. Hey, Mark, great hanging out with you this weekend. I did a memento con in Pittsburgh over the weekend. Ashley, it was great seeing you as usual. Yeah, crack me up, girl. Um, so folks, I think we've, we've uh, James has, has educated me on the nature of the constitution and the way things should go. I hope he's educated you on our unique objectivist perspective with respect to issues like this. And so look, if you like this stuff, hit that subscribe button, all right? Be a member, get this content every day because it's the type of content that can change the world. I'm not just tooting our own horns. I think this is really the philosophy that can turn things around. Um, so James, it's been great chatting with you once again. All you all folks right, out there. Yes, and you folks out there, please remember to check your premises. Peace. <laughs>